0: and Welcome to Documentation Not Included. It is a Monday. It is August 1st. It is not blisteringly hot where I feel like I'm melting out of my skin. And I think I've said my name. I'm Josie. Hi. It's been one of those long days where we have had to deal with quite a few things, which is why we're having the topic we're having. But... I'm also joined by the most incredible T-shirt wearing flux capacitor himself, Chris say bye. I need Hello, to get in Hello, fans! Chat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yes, to the T-shirt in question. Hang on, I'm not going oh, to. Oh, try not to.
0: Oh, oh. flux capacitor making time travel possible since 1985.
1: There was a mm-hmm. slight story behind that, as in um, I. We've got new na- well we moved into a new house and we've got new neighbors and the new neighbors mm-hmm. um, the, the lady uh, the wife she is um, she's a, a, a she she knows everybody in the neighborhood she's you know she she talks a right. lot about everybody in the neighborhood a lot etc but she also listens to everybody in the neighborhood um, and every time you mention anything to her like I mentioned that back to the future was my favorite film franchise uh, in, in general um, One night And she uh, she got me this for my birthday Or her husband got me it She really got me if you know what I mean <laughs> um, But also, last Friday Yes, Friday just gone uh, There was Back to the Future being shown In one of our local um, cinemas So that's where I was on Friday night uh, Watching it on a, a really old uh, It's called the Regent Cinema in Blackpool And it's uh, it's got maybe 15, 20 seats But they're all you know, loads of space, loads of leg room, and it's, it's just a really old retro kind of cinema, and they show old films, so I've never seen it on the cinema. So I went to see it on Friday. And it was a really
0: good experience. quite enjoyed it. So is anyway, it gigawatts or gigawatts?
1: It's gigawatts, according to Christopher Lloyd, at least, isn't it? But, <laughs> um, but Gigawatts of power. See, I never really thought about that until you mentioned that. Is that right I don't know. Anyway, well, do you wrong. have
0: an 800 gigabyte hard drive?
1: <laughs> not, no, no. But gigawatts of power is d- surely different from gigawatts of gigawatts. Oh my god! Hang on, gigabytes. Yeah, Giga- gigawatts, gigawatts. Yeah, it must be gigawatts. He just said it wrong. But then again, he's not a real scientist. He did. Is he? <laughs> <laughs> no, he
0: did say wrong. That's it. That's what makes it such an adorable and beloved thing. I never you know? really, it's I, just of those-
1: Genuinely, never thought of that because I learned about gigabytes etc. Well after I'd seen the film, and I just didn't connect the two. Mm. They were measures. Yeah. Anyway, so welcome to everybody in chat. Thank you very much for joining. In. It's enough about me. Hopefully, um, today's subject is going <laughs> did- to be going to be about um, debugging and troubleshooting, uh, specifically code, and you know the techniques that we use. The main reason being that we're very, very unprepared and <laughs> Josie Josie said she was tr- struggling with some SQL stuff and I was like, oh, what, what is it? You know, what's the error? Let's see if I can help you. Um, but also, I'm, I'm doing some code at the moment that requires some quite heavy debugging. Sorry about the uh, sirens. It's a little bit warm here, um, so I've got my windows on. Um, so it, it requires a little bit of debugging or more than I would normally do. So... It's quite relevant, to be fair, because I'm doing work that I wouldn't normally you know, normally have to debug quite as much as I do at the moment. So um, I'm going to let you start, Josie, by telling us what your uh, SQL error was that you were talking about and if it's something we can or I can help with or anyone in chat, in fact, if uh, that's your yeah. thing.
0: Yes. And this is a thing that I've actually posed to a couple of other people, which I think is rather interesting. It's the first time uh, Google and Stack Overflow have properly failed me. So this is one of those weird ones. Now, the thing is, it doesn't feel like it should be weird. It doesn't feel like this should be a problem, but it's sort of the second time I've kind of run across this particular situation. So we have an Ubuntu server. We have installed MySQL Community Edition. We have run the secure setup as you should, and it should pretty much be the default way it gets installed, but you know, that's a different thing. We've created a brand new user that is a super user. We have given the super user access at localhost and we've given them a super user at um, fancy percent sign <laughs> fancy percent sign. same user name just different entry points. one localhost, one for any. And we've flush privileges. we've restarted and at the command line we go to login to MySQL using mysql-u-username-p, minus, you, username, minus p, it does not prompt for the password.
1: It won't... Oh, hang on. You didn't do minus p password. You just did minus p, didn't you?
0: Yes, because if you put the password in at the command line, it actually gives you a warning about putting in a password um, on an inline command. Mm. So the reality is we want it to ask us for a password. It should prompt us. Now, that is what your expected behavior is, is when you put that in, you expect it to go enter password and you can then insert it in. Now, this particular situation I've looked into, you've got two different ways of logging into MySQL. One of them is more socket-based, which is once you've logged in, it doesn't really make a difference what your password is. It just kind of goes, I know you, you're sitting on the host, you're this user, you're fine. You can do whatever the hell you want. On the other side of it, there's the native version of um, authentication, and that's the one which really prompts for passwords. Both of those accounts are set up for native. And yet we get, when we go to log in, we get your typical uh, access denied password equal yes.
1: So it would suggest to me that uh, you probably... Tried all of this, but there's something's gone wrong with the setup itself. When you boot SQL, uh, when you boot MySQL, have you looked at the log files? Have you looked at the SQL logs? Completely empty. Well, no,
0: er had no, well, no, no, it had no errors. Went through things.
1: It doesn't necessarily have to have an error. Don't be looking for an error. Look for how it sets the users up or how it what what mode it starts in. That's probably going to be your best bet to confirm that you've set it up correctly in the first place and that mm-hmm. when you log on there should well when you try to log on whenever you get the you said it doesn't give you a prompt does it give you any any response at all what is it what happens Does it just go? the blank? only
0: response is your typical 1045 of access denied for user blank at blank localhost or it's basically localhost at that point and um uh password yes it someone, just doesn't prompt.
1: Uh, someone in chat just come up with a suggestion. So th- these are, this is, de- debugging, and is ah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> de- debugging and troubleshooting is just generally a difficult. High full
0: stack live? Yes, high
1: full stack live. Debugging and troubleshooting is just generally a step by step process unless you have hit that problem mm-hmm. in the past. Now, I have set up MySQL a few times and I've set up MySQL in containers a few times with quite a lot of different, um, you know, s- specifics uh, built into it, but it's been probably five years since I last touched it. Um, mm. In anger, at least, anyway. But that, it's just one of those things, when I get back into it, I'd figure it out. But yeah, I would I would be checking the logs. I would be making sure that the uh, the user or the... When you get access denied back, that means a log will have occurred on the server.
0: You would think so.
1: Well, it would I, have the, to.
0: The thing is, it, well, yes, but I, I think... <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about it now. First off, you know, with Full Stack Lives comment of trying to force TCP access instead of socket using minus h localhost. Um, I'm curious as to why when an account is set up to native um, authentication, um, I would have to do something like that. So if you know, please let me know. Um, and then in that particular case, our user, it you mean using three stars? In specific, or three asterisks, or what have you, because we have localhost and um, any. But the thought that just crossed my mind, and you know how when you look at something so much, your brain kind of explodes mm-hmm. because you you kind of skip things. I wonder if it's because of the fact that I was actually on what would be considered almost the root account for the server.
1: It's possible because I know that because some,
0: there is some inst- yeah there is
1: security install. That's very likely, in fact.
0: Yeah, it's probably exceptionally likely. And I'm wondering if instead I had made sort of an alternate um, Ubuntu user and tried logging in that way, if that might actually work.
1: So, um, yeah, I I
0: hear you, Full Stack Live. I hear you.
1: The suggestion about uh, another one from Full Stack Live, another idea is granting user access. uh, Sorry. Yeah, user access for user at asterisk. And I'm presuming that's the host rather than asterisks. Yeah. Um, yeah. in, in case name resolution via host file was crummy. But you wouldn't be getting a, an error back. You wouldn't be getting an access denied error back unless the access denied error is coming from the socket, which I think is unlikely. I think it's more likely to be coming from SQL because otherwise the socket just wouldn't connect mm. and you wouldn't get access denied. You'd just get, you just get get you just can't connect to host or something Let's like see,
0: that. It's, it's one of those things where like I ran into the problem and I started... I I started the the Google Foo and the Stackflow Foo, right? And, you know, my brain just kept going, I've run into this twice and I solved it the first time. And I cannot remember at all how I solved it because I went, that is such an outlier situation. I should never run across it again. I don't need to document it. Take my word, document everything, folks. I feel really stupid for not having written down what I did to fix it.
1: Um, I um but yeah. Have, if you remind me straight after the show, I've got um, a container that I set up for se- my sequel. As I said, it was a few years back, but I can't imagine it would have changed that much. And I can just have a quick look at how I set it up because I definitely set it up with username passwords rather than inter, you know, non-interactive logon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was. I'm pretty sure that I had somehow. Um, I also had an option to turn SSH on so it would log on with the SSH user as well. I'm I'm not sure. I'd have to yeah. have a look for you. But remind me and I'll I'll have a quick look because I know I've got the files right here. It, I'm looking at them.
0: Yeah, the thing is in this particular case I definitely want to have a prompt pop up because there's gonna be some scripting involved and I want to not um I want to allow people to do certain things with scripts, et cetera. But that's that's a discussion outside of sort of the debugging and troubleshooting. But yeah, it's one of those things where, so when you really, run across you, those outliers, you expect Stack Overflow and Google to be full of answers. No,
1: your, absolutely um, not. Your issue or your debugging really is is more of an infrastructure debug rather than a code debugging thing, though. Here, isn't it?
0: Well, yeah, it is, but it's still troubleshooting. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, that's, it's still relevant. it's it's part of the reason because i had said i ran into a sequel thing and you're like what is it i said let me save it for the show because we have no idea what to talk about today we've just been absolutely um cba'd with all of the stuff right
1: yeah right i think i've been in a i've been in a bit of of a funk for a few weeks because i've been doing some uh, really really deep complex um authentication and security integration work and it's all well not all finished but it's mostly finished now and i've you know i've managed to merge it um but it's just been day after day after day after day of the same kind of things going around the same problems solving something and then getting another millimeter and then getting hit on another another issue and it's not necessarily to do with the the integration work it's to do with the legacy um brownfield work that mm-hmm. i have to integrate the, the new stuff with um that's, that's kind of caused the problem uh but i've now moved on to something completely different which i agreed you know i agreed with my client to do it without really knowing what was involved and they a shoot right for example <laughs> so i was told by my client uh, that the new piece of work was completely self-sufficient, completely independent of the main code base. And the main code base that I'm working in, uh, the front-end developers, um, developer rather, he's been kind of in his own little silo and hes it's a humongous application. There's tons of, you know, its it's very, very complicated, but there's no architecture really there there's a little bit of things like view models and things like that but most of that was already there but all of the stuff on top of that all of the ui visualization it's just there's a there's a 1600 line javascript file that contains everything there's a you know there's 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 files that contain that contain code that shouldn't contain code and it's just really difficult to get past, get through anything. There's zero tests anywhere in the entire system. And whereas the stuff that I've done, which is the back end stuff, is hundred percent covered, you know, and, and essentially the reason that debugging was interesting to me today is that most of the time, the vast majority of the time, when I write code, I don't really need to debug it. Because of the way that I deliver it. I yeah. write my tests, you know, I do test driven development, I do XP. To some extent, I do, you know, I've got some caveats there. I won't go crazy with it, but I do, I basically deliver everything, make sure it's tested, and then, and then essentially I'll just do a one, you know, one shot through, test all of the s- scenarios that are useful, the integrations into whatever systems I'm working with. And it's, it usually works first time because I run tests. Test driven development. Then, which is it's, it's yeah. extremely, extremely useful. Yes, it might take longer, but it, it, it works really well. And I don't, it's very rare that I need to debug. And sometimes I do need to debug a test. I need to make sure that values are set to a particular thing if it's calling a third party—I don't know—third party assembly or something like that. But normally I don't need to. However, when you—I've I, I, been working in the back end, so I've been working in .NET .NET Core, and now I've come into the front end. I've unfortunately the client who I was speaking to, or the person at my client, I was speaking to they didn't really work in the front end. <clears throat> as far as they were concerned, this was a third-party package that was going to be independent. But unfortunately, it isn't. And it is quite heavily coupled with all of this stuff that I was just talking about. So there's a lot of... Uh... Did they
0: not know? Like, mm. whoever you were speaking with, did they not understand?
1: Or do you yes feel No. So, so no, the, my, it's a very good client. You know, I'm not... I, the, the, mm. I've Essentially, I've been working with them for many years now and on and off and i've rewritten all the whole back-end systems for them and trained up the back-end developers you know how to do tdd where to, where it's appropriate what architectures would be appropriate at times and they've been following the same patterns and it's been it's been quite nice to come back to it and see that they've developed it quite a bit further but they've kept to the same kind of st- the patterns and practices and yeah there's been a few hiccups here and there but it's great in in general but the front end is just a I can't say a mess because code's just code at the end of the day. It does what it's supposed to do and I'm not one of these developers who comes in and goes that's a mess, let's rewrite it all, you know. But when I can't really work with it and it takes 3 minutes to compile the application every time I change a javascript um, you know, a javascript line and then when I try and debug it in the browser, I can't debug it in the browser because everything's minified and there's no development version of it. Um for someone who doesn't know mm. what minification is, is you take essentially your code that and you s- you scrump it down into a single line with tons of um all the verboseness is removed from the code. So say you call a method um click button four or something like that. It's a really horrible name to use that so don't use that. But you know, click button four that will be converted to C. So it makes the file smaller so it's easier for us to download. And it's just been it's only been a few days, you know, two or three days of doing this, but just I don't mind. I love front-end development, in fact, but there's just no structure to it. There's still no rhyme or reason to it. I said there's one big JavaScript file that's just got hundreds and hundreds of methods in it and hundreds of events that have all been registered in it, and they're, they're, all, they're all doing completely separate parts, you know, working on completely separate parts of the system, and there's no real reason that they couldn't have separated each part, like, the download files function which is very complicated they could have separated that into its own file just to make life a bit easier and the problem i have is that as i'm editing and working in this file there's another two developers that are also editing and working in this file and that's going to co- cause friction and merge conflicts and so i i'm spent the last day
0: oh
1: optimizing and pulling everything, you know, everything everything that I need out of this file into its own file that's relevant and trying not to break anything at the same time. So I'm trying to not architect it any differently, just organize the files a little bit better. So they're more conducive to multiple developers working on them. And as I said, the debugging I have to do at the moment is just, it's just impossible to, to do. So I'm having to, I'm going to create, I'm I wrote the original Webpack um, thing, so Webpack mm-hmm. is a, a system that allows us to take front-end files and assets, JavaScript, CSS, styling, HTML files, image assets, that kind of thing, and do something with them, minify them, compress them, um, copy them to different places, that kind of thing. So I wrote the original process for this when the application was small and it and it took a minute or less than a minute it took that took 10 seconds to compile but now it takes three minutes to compile because nobody's thought about the compilation process put it this way when i left it the whole app the back end the front end the database took three minutes and now the whole thing's taking 15 minutes on the build server and most of that's the front end um and the front it doesn't need to take that long and i just because i'm working in it now i have to do something about it because i just can't it's it's you you know you kick your build process off even if you've got a watcher going on in the background you kick your build process off and i just have to sit here and wait until i can debug the second line and then the third line and then the fourth i mean anything i change
0: (laughs) this is the thing right so full stack live says this uh, correction because he's chatting with uh, my husband in um, the chat about the SQL thing um, was said, correction, the saddest thing according to XKCD is finding a question from 2003 describing your issue and no answer. So I want to mix that with something you have just said with something back going with what I found when I was researching this SQL thing. I found a question. The answer was um, install this instead and it's a web app that no longer exists kind of a thing. So, of course, I ran across something even sadder than what even XKCD found. And the second thing, when it comes to actually um, doing development, that XKCD comic where you see the developers fighting on their chairs with lightsabers and the boss is going, why aren't you working? They're like, our code is compiling. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I... I think over the years, when it comes to the development process, I have seen um, compilation time go up uh, because it started out really heavy and it got really, really lean. And then it's slowly starting to creep up again. At least that's things that I have seen when it comes to the build processes. And I am... I am absolutely fascinated by some of the technologies that are coming out um, involving uh, almost, I wouldn't say it's asynchronous deployment or build processing. Um, But I doubt based on the way you've described it that you'd be able to even implement something along these lines. But at least in some of the stuff that I work with and work in, uh, instead of doing full builds every time there's a change, it does like a partial build and it's such an interesting stepping mechanic because you don't necessarily like, cause I work on a lot of websites that um, have some static front ends. When you change one thing, you don't necessarily have to rebuild the entire website so for example if i create yeah if i just created um say a new article in markdown which is being pushed into the content folder and i push in build in hugo and the rebuild process would have to rebuild the entire thing however this other thing that um i work with within uh gatsby and the wordpress community it's almost like this asynchronous deploy kind of a thing where it goes oh you only changed that one page oh you only edited the text on that one page That's the only page that's going to be rebuilt, and just hearing the pain of having to sit there for fifteen minutes, I I freak out if I press reload on my web page when I'm developing, and it takes more than like two or three seconds. Oh, I I I can't even. I it just the pain. I didn't even
1: tell you that. Oh no, there's there's the, the there's the. So I said 15 minutes, but that's 15 minutes on the build server with uh, four other agents running. Again, I'm I'm in charge of all right. of this, by the way. This is what one of my main, main remit is to help them develop their DevOps. Right. However, I'm not engaged all of the time, and I'm not engaged on a maintenance schedule or anything like that. I just come in and say, and say to them, right, well, this has got very, very slow. I would suggest looking at this. This is a week's worth of mm-hmm. work or whatever, you know, and then, We get engaged on that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, But the front end has never been my concern. I've done little bits. As I said, I did the Webpack stuff originally just to get them moving, just so things worked. But the problem, the difference between what you're describing and what I'm describing is that your system has been pre-built by somebody. It's kind of like a COTS product. It's a COTS um, uh, CRM product, something like that, you know. Whereas what I build are completely best book systems, where even the DevOps and the build and the pipeline systems are all best book, and they have to be kept on top of. Otherwise, you you start build, seeing these build times. So what made me interrupt you then was that I've got a um, on my machine building the solution takes roughly four minutes, which is I mean four minutes is nothing in the grand yeah. scheme of things, but four minutes. Mm-mm. Hundreds of times across a day means that I don't. Well, however many times I've got four minutes in a day, plus development time, plus thinking time, plus plus it takes. Oh, right. So every time I refresh the website, and that is even if we use injection, which isn't properly configured, I'm trying to get things injected and mm-hmm. load just some pages. And unfortunately, it's not a it's not a standard single page application. It's it's a Server. And Blazor Server is WebAssembly that runs uh, hang on, no, sorry, C sharp that runs in the background with uh, a very, very thin WebAssembly front end that uses single R to communicate with the server via JavaScript. So it's it's a very weird hybrid solution, which I really don't like Blazor Server. I've I've come to the conclusion. Blazer Blazor WebAssembly may, may very well be, you know, suitable for most use cases. But Blazor Blazer Server's causing me a lot of headaches. Just the architecture of it doesn't mm. seem to fit into anything other than some really basic forms. Um, and you can, I mean, we're doing some really crazy stuff with it, but the repercussion of that is that we can't optimise anything, really, because we're always stuck in this ecosystem that doesn't work. Anyway, every time I press F5 on the website, it takes me a minute or two, some minute and a half, for the page to load the first time because it's doing loads of caching and I, and it takes nine minutes if i ever need to rebuild the database container and the reason for that is the container itself which i wrote um the container itself which is building a sql container if it's all cached and everything it takes 10 seconds or whatever to create recreate a new container mm-hmm. that's a sql server container in linux and You know, sets up copies all the database scripts and everything in there. Running the database scripts because we have to do it in a very specific way. There's there's two files in particular that are something like six or eight meg each, and they contain lookups that need to be loaded and transformed in XML from XML into XML. Don't ask. um, In this, it's just it's just mind boggling how how crazy it is the build and it, it doesn't need to be this complicated and the company would save lots and lots of time if it just just tweaked or you know re-architected things but it, it won't you know they don't see that as a time saver. they see that as a well we've invested heavily for the last 20 years into this system so you know that's that's what I and mean, this is what we know so um mm. yeah um, i <sighs> it's a it's a it's a difficult one it's a very difficult one but at the same time the stuff that I do on the back end is uber quick because I don't I don't really need to run the UI ever to do what I'm doing on the back end because I'm just writing API calls and database calls and, and architecting you know new patterns and, put it, and and some of the stuff's really complicated and I know exactly what I'm doing with it but it's just oh it's it's blissful in comparison to working in the front end so
0: that's just so painful. So much, so much time is lost. I, like, I think, I think the most terrifying thing is you're saying there's no dev. Like, What's is sorry? that because I, I heard you say something like there's no dev environment.
1: Um, well, there isn't. I don't think I did say that, but there isn't a dev environment. So, our workstations are the development environment. There are right. numerous other, other environments set up. Um, there is no dev environment specifically for us to be able to test deploys to, which actually we ran into a problem with this. I try not to be the I told you so guy, but unfortunately as a consultant, I do tell people <laughs> so a hell of a lot. Um, years and years ago when we set up the build servers, which again I was instrumental in in, in helping them with, they wanted... All of their customers, which by the, the reason that this takes so long to compile is that all of their customers come out of the same software, and they all have their own version of the software. Instead of just one big product that you can configure for each customer with features, etc., every every single customer has their own deployment, their own build pipe, their own build pipeline, their own essentially white labelling of the product, which again may have been possible in a, in a better and with modern technologies such as. um yeah more modern technologies such as NoSQL databases and document stores, it would have been a lot easier to do what they're doing now, and it wouldn't take anywhere near as long to compile either so it's a bit of a it's a bit of a weird one. We deploy to internal environments, but when they get deployed to customers because all of the internal environments are all automated now, when we deploy to customers, they have to take a manual like zip file and extract it onto their servers and configure all the config files themselves and they've got full documentation for all of that um because it's a it's like public sector kind of Ah, environments where ah, they they will not let you connect to their systems or install anything on their servers they have to do it themselves you know
0: that that actually makes quite a bit of sense i I hate saying that
1: but it is what it is at the end of the day you know and I understand it, but there's a lot of things that could be done to speed things up and make the developer experience quicker. I couldn't agree more. The the people who are dedicated to the front-end, rather. I can't imagine... I always thought they were just you know, maybe a little bit lazy, but this just takes so long, so long to do anything on the front-end, and I've avoided it for years and years and years. And I've said specifically, I'm not getting involved in that. And unfortunately... I am doing the separate application, i.e. it's just a separate page, which is completely Mm -hmm. independent of of all their view models and everything else. But I still have to tie into their view models. And Blazor Server's got this thing. Now, with a standard web application, the standard single-page web application or client-server application, generally, and a single-page application or a JavaScript, you make an AJAX call to a server and you get data and it comes back. And then when you've got that data, you do something with it and you create the DOM out of it. You create the document object mm-hmm. model that, that, uh, in the browser. Um, whereas with a client-server application, you send a request to the, the server. The server then renders the HTML and sends it back to you. So you're doing things on one end normally. You know, you, you, It's pretty stateless. But with Blazor, Blazor server specifically, it's a server application so the client makes a request to the server. The server does all of the all of the rendering. It sends the HTML, oh, a kind of a partial HTML view to the to the browser. And I might be completely wrong with this description because I don't still don't fully understand all the ins and outs of it. I understand how it how the binding works mm-hmm. and everything, but it's, and then once it's on the server, it then makes intermittent signal R calls. Um, so that's a, a WebSocket connection that it's, do, it's making constantly. So whenever you type a key or you pr- up, up a key or whenever you click a button or anything like that, there's a server. There's a call being made to the server constantly, all the time. So the server does everything, basically, in, in Blazor server. So when you need to do something on the client, which you do a lot in web applications, surprisingly, because they are generally mm-hmm. built on the client, you have to mm-hmm. write code on the server that makes a call out to the javascript via this javascript invoker and then the javascript then so this is client code now has to then make ajax calls as it needs if you think it needs them because mm-hmm. in some of the use cases it absolutely does need them um and then other things it does on the on the client itself so you've got a real state problem going on you can't you can't maintain that state Any you have to maintain some state but you can't because it's, it's just it's really weird and backwards and I'm I'm just not just not a fan and it's it's as well whenever you modify anything as well at the moment Sounds error modify, problem, but yeah well it is it is you modify anything on the server code which is everything and anything even the javascript code because the javascript code still has to be compiled by webpack you know mm-hmm. to some extent or, or at least processed by webpack um and it's and or oh, it's I don't even know where to go. The Blazor Server is trying to make back end developers front end developers. And it's failing quite a That badly, is in my what opinion. it sounds
0: like. That is and, and indeed what it sounds like.
1: If you're right, so I'm good at back end development. I enjoy I'm good at it. I know where I am with it. and I, I can do front end development pretty competently, more competently than some front end developers I've come across in the past. I don't <laughs> generally do front end development that much because I'm better at the back end and I tend to get chosen for those kind of jobs or, or I choose those kind of jobs more because I enjoy the work more. I like front mm-hmm. end, but it's just it's just is what it is, you know, and it's it's their their own beasts. I forgot where I was going with this, but the front the front end the front end code I don't know. I have lost myself. I'm I'm kind of Back having a bit laser. of a cathartic, Back cathartic moment.
0: <laughs> Back <blazer. laughs> Trying to make front-end devs out of back-end devs. That's where you were.
1: Oh yeah. However. Yeah, so it's but front-end developers, you can be both. You can be a full-stack developer and you can be good at both, you know. But front-end developers specifically, you know, JavaScript and HTML mm-hmm. and CSS, layout of pages you know, custom bespoke applications is a very specific skill that takes just as much skill and effort as a back end developer does. You know, on their code, but it's it's different. You you still your code in a certain way, but you need to understand different things as a front end developer. Um, There's different as data a, as a structures. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not just the data structures; it's the no. It's no the that, that was like, I was just
0: giving
1: it an example as a as a back end developer. <laughs> I might, I, if I was purely back-end, I might never, ever need to understand what a WebSocket is. I might never, ever need to understand what a, um, uh, what, the, what a browser does to retrieve information from the server. I just know that I have to create an API endpoint and expose that to the client. And, and understanding all of the ins and outs of development... Of of whatever specialization you have or generalization you have, depending on what kind of developer you are, is is admirable, you know, and, and there's a lot of people who a lot of developers who don't do that. They do not get into the detail. They don't dig deep and understand why and understand how. They just do what they are told by a white page or a or a documentation.
0: It's do you know what's do you know what's interesting? Um When I first got involved in the world of IT in a much more structured manner and I was learning things, um, the concept of paper warriors was introduced to me. And I knew a couple people who were, without a doubt, paper warriors. Are you familiar with the concept of a paper warrior?
1: I feel like I should. I mean, I know. Is it like a keyboard warrior, but with paper?
0: Ah. (laughs) So paper warriors are individuals who know just enough to pass exams. They actually don't fully understand the concepts. They know how to test take, or they know how to pass a certain class in a school. They don't actually take the time to learn. They know how to... Uh, store the information or recall the information. But if you put them into an actual environment, they'd be SOL because they don't have an understanding of anything. And the concept Mm. was introduced to me um, way back, because when I first started learning about IT in a very structured manner, it was, um, I couldn't touch programming I couldn't touch databases. I couldn't touch anything until I actually understood how a PC functioned. What is an IRQ? You know, how does a bus work? What is exactly overclocking? What is RAM? What are the different RAM types? Why is certain things fit and certain things don't? Why is a power supply work the way it does? Like I had to start there. That's the way my education worked. Because every single thing I learned after that, in some way, shape, or form, related back to the platform it runs on. And it is something that I am exceptionally thankful for. Because I knew people who got all of their certifications. They were MCSEs. They were RHCEs, etc., And if you sat them down in front of either a Windows server or Red Hat or what have you, they couldn't actually perform tasks because all they really knew how to do was pass the exam. That's your paper warrior. In our world of development, it's something I run across a little more frequently than I kind of expected. You know, I will be talking to a dev Who will be trying to figure out how to do some kind of um, CRUD, like just simple CRUD. And for those who don't know what CRUD is, it's create, read, update, and delete, usually done with uh, databases in some way, shape, or form. More so than anything else, it's usually relational kind of databases. And they won't understand why you might want to do it in a certain order or use a certain join if you're trying to do something. Like they just go, I know that I need to do a join, but I, I don't know what type. And you lose time because you don't understand some fundamentals. Now, this is not necessarily to say that everyone's a paper warrior. <laughs> I mean, we all have things that we don't know a lot about. And in the world of IT, there is a lot of stuff. So when you're talking about the front end being something that is a tool set. It's a skill set that is um, different than your backend developer. <laughs> and you're talking about the whole concept of not being able to do much more than what's written on, say, a piece of paper in the documentation Not understanding why it, it makes me think about that. It makes me think about how in today's day and age, we have so many people who are taught by Skillshare how to do dev.
1: I think there's a there's a fundamental mismatch um, between personalities and the developer role. I'm not sure what draws Pete, some people into uh, people who are not suitable into development. Um, for me, it's a it's engagement and it's a it's a lifelong learning exercise. I'm not. I don't know everything. Right. I know a lot. I've been around a long time. I've done a lot of different types of developments, but I'm still quite pigeonholed, really. For what I do, I'm an expert at .dot net. I'm an I'm an expert at JavaScript. Um, to, I'm a bit weak with my JavaScript because I don't do it that much these days. I'm an expert in Angular. Mm-hmm. I couldn't I couldn't think I couldn't even think about how to start a React project because I've never tried. You know, I think I threw something together very quickly when it first came out years ago. Um. But oh. I, I wouldn't know where React to start with is that. is interesting. But, that, but the, the, the key thing, the key difference between someone like myself and someone who's maybe not suited to to the, that world is that if somebody says to me, I need a website, say it's a basic website or whatever, um, it needs to do this, this, and this, and I want it in React, first of all, I'll say, why do you want it in React? Uh, and if they do absolutely want it in React, I'll say that's fine. You know, it might take me slightly longer, but I'm I'm fine with that because I can pick it up and learn it's it pretty quickly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But Their documentation the, is also the, pretty
1: good too. He, well, most of the most of the solution um most of the big front end frameworks are these days. But it's not a slight on anybody or, or slight even on me for not knowing React. It's about it's having the skills to to be able to pick something up and learn it more than sufficiently to be able to deliver something in it, mm-hmm. to be able to understand, <clears throat> to be understand the con the core concepts behind a framework and why it's opinionated or why it's non opinionated, why it gives you these options versus these options. What the hell is a what hell's a component in in you know all these there's, diff- there's components in all kinds of things these days and they all mean different things and it's been able to apply those principles and apply the patterns practices and best you know the best practices that you've learned throughout the years to whatever you are working on and that sets developers apart for me i can almost immediately tell a developer by you know tell the type of developer by either a very quick conversation with them you know i've spoken to um spoken to a developer that's been developing for 25 30 years uh, recently uh, in quite a lot of detail and you can tell that he has he cares deeply about about code structures about um consistency with things even things like his commits he cares so much about doing it right that we engaged in conversation you know, email conversations about it and and you know just Generally, I'm trying to give advice, but at the same time, I can see he's coming back and challenging that advice and saying, "Well, I do it this way because of this, that, and the other." And we'll, you know, they'll be back and forth. But you can see that someone like that may very may very well not know the technology that they're working in now, but they can pick it up damn quickly because they care Mm -hmm. about what they're doing. They, they, they. This one particular guy, he's been for years before working with. Uh, more modern technologies such as uh, you know, like online DevOps tools, Azure, AWS, that kind of thing. Many many years before Git was a thing, he's been kind of working in a way that's very driven by those core con the core concepts that those solutions um, have in them, and he's. He's changed his working practices and and formed them, and it's quite hard for him to change. So when I say, oh well, you know, so I'm training on Git for something, I, I say this Git can do that, but you need to do it this way. This is the best practice for it, and he'll challenge it and he'll be like, well, I do it, I do it this way because of that. I said, but but Git gives you this, and also, you know, gives you these other additional benefits, and then he'll go into another thing and oh well, I've I've done this to solve that solution in the past. You can see that he cares. I mean, I haven't seen his code, so I don't know what his code looks like. But I can see <laughs> that he cares, and that's a key difference between someone who just does it yeah. for a job, or does it just to just to get things done, or maybe even someone who bows to corporate pressure. I I know sometimes we have to, but as a developer, you're making the company's job harder, and your job harder, and everybody else you work with jobs harder if you skip a step, if you jump, if you jump through hoops for the corporate lords, instead of doing things right in the first place, yes, it might take you an extra day, but then you don't have an extra six days of technical debt to deal with in two months' time when you eventually find to get back around to it.
0: Yeah, but see, that's the thing. Most... Well, that that starts t- taking us off into the sort of concept of the trouble we run into when we start dealing with bean counters or people who don't know their ass from their elbow when it comes to coding development or anything else like that. You know, no uh, offense to them, but when you get someone who doesn't understand or someone who knows just enough to be troublesome, mm. that, that's, that's a whole different kind of can of worms. But I think there's something to be said about um, when it comes to debugging, when it comes to troubleshooting, kind of almost taking us full circle. Go figure. Look at me. Um, Actually caring about what you do is kind of important. I, I find that when I engage with individuals who are just doing it for a paycheck, I can tell. And I kind of really am just like... I don't really want to talk about the subject with you.
1: Well, you don't get engagement. When, you don't get anything. No, absolutely, you get
0: ab- absolutely nothing. I, I, I get such an enjoyment out of. It, there's a reason why I'm in, you know, some of the IRC channels that I'm in. There's a reason why I'm in some of the discords that I'm in. I get such a joy out of watching what ends up happening when someone has successfully done something after just trying to. Work their way through the problem and they solve it and they go, Holy crap, this is incredible. Now, check this out because now I can do this and this is now applied to this and now we can do this and now this integrates with this and this solved this problem. And by doing it that way, did you hear about the thing I just learned? Like, there is, those are the people I want around me because that's how I can get, you know, I really want to understand something. I will put time aside and do nothing but that thing. Mm. You know, I may not have the perfect understanding of Go as a programming language, like, in any way, shape, or form. But when you get into development, every single language has some very core concepts. If you can figure that out, you can go read the documentation and you can go, oh, they've implemented this because of this. I remember when C Sharp came out and people were flipping their lid because of pointers. Like I remember all that whole kind of kitten caboodle. Because interestingly enough, I think I was learning C sharp as it was coming out, as like some of the first parts of it were coming out. I can't remember. I, I mean, just remember it was one of those things where are you like thinking even of C the plus
1: plus not C sharp no C sharp C sharp C sharp but not not in a, in a no uh,
0: no this. There was something involving point, honey. It's been like almost two decades here. Let's be real. But there was (laughs) something about pointers and something about C sharp because I think there was something. um, I I can't remember. My point is though, like I remember the people who are celebrating because I also remember Jay, which is a really weird one. But that's a whole different point. Point is though, I want to be around people who get excited about any subject matter doesn't make a difference if it's programming or not mm. but you know in the end i my heart breaks for people who have to work with people who don't care
1: apathy is the probably the worst kind of response if someone argues with me if someone actually engages in an argument with me over something, I mean that shows that they're passionate. If they are yes. obtuse and don't, you know, won't at least listen to other sides of arguments because they've done it this way forever and it's worked, then they're they're also an awful type of person to hang to to work with. Mm-hmm. But the the best type of people are collaborative ones. The the same client that I was talking about earlier, the main guy that I engage with, um, he's uh, he's an older developer. He's mostly been he's mostly the other back end developer that that works on the the solution that on on lots of things. He's he's got a lot of fingers and lots of pies. But basically he's he's done lots of different languages over his years. And he doesn't know C sharp as well as I do. So he looks to me for learning for that. But at the same and the same goes with test trim development. He's he's come to appreciate why I do it and the fact that i've done it in this project he's followed on on uh, in those steps but at the same time he regularly challenges me and regularly basically calls me out when i'm talking out of my ass or when i'm saying something that is or, or i'm trying to get to a point hmm, trying to do something that is not the best thing for the for their business at the end of the day and and mm-hmm. those kind of arguments i listen to all day every day when it's opinion based oh. arguments You know, when it's just well, you should have your curly brackets on the line after the if, not on the same line as the if. I couldn't give two hoots. I just couldn't care less. If you want me to put them after the if, I will. But just because you want—I mean, if everyone else in the business is doing that—but I mean, this particular line. I'm sorry. If they
0: have a very specific (laughs) way of doing that, why don't they have a lint for it? That's all. Yeah, style cop or
1: lint. You know. Yeah, whatever.
0: Yeah. <laughs> which because at that point in time i'll code the way i want i'll save it and i'll let it do its thing because oh ah. tool tepe just give us a a
1: resub thank you very much tool much appreciated. which hey, appreciate not seen you for while. a
0: while lovely to see you
1: and we're nearly at the end of the podcast again
0: <laughs> we are we are up. indeed uh, interestingly enough um a dear friend of mine is getting into modding games
1: Ooh, fancy!
0: And. They're getting into memory reading and Mm -hmm. DLLs and other things like that. And I get, I'm getting excited to see what ends up happening because it's an entirely different world when you start dealing with actual like injection and stuff like that with memory. Yeah. I've I've never been there. And I'll be really interested in actually that. It's it's fair all. So they <laughs> just said hi. So I'm just gonna I'm calling you out. <laughs> uh, I uh, Gwen says I'd like to submit my favorite Git commit message for this week. Oh, oh this should you, be fabulous. if
1: if anyone's got a, a good Git commit message or or a the, uh, anyone, everyone who works in Git can join in with this. Surely, I can immediately tell you a good one that I've seen this week, which was. I did the thing on the thing. Now, I if you compare saw- that with my commit messages, now, my commit messages are like little epics. I, I have a title with any tags for the tickets that I might be working on, and then I have bullet points with every significant change that I've made in that commit because, because someone might need to know why I've changed something. Not what I did... The Are they itself. not associated
0: with whisses? Oh right, okay. So you're—is it associated with issues that you're working on? Mine. Yes. Well,
1: yeah, most of the time. Most of the time, yeah.
0: Well, you can usually just kind of add that to an issue as an update, but you know.
1: I think that it's messages like there's, that. There's that, in- I, th- right. So I saw messages and too tiny. I, saw, I saw. Yeah, I saw. <laughs> Um, I saw a message the other day, which is very similar to it was thing for the thing or whatever I just said, um, and it was it was updated uh, upload controller. That was it. I updated the upload. Now, do you not understand that when you commit code into a source code repository, that the commit, whether it's a SVN push uh, commit or a or a Git commit or a, any even Team Foundation Server or Visual source safe whatever you want to use the commit contains the changes that you just made it's there already so give me something more in the commit message please for the love of god tell me why you did it not just what you did why you did it and if there's any specifics i mean even that one that Gwintz just um, posted i'm sorry i did ah. it this way i couldn't find a better way to do it may the saints save my soul from hell that's better than i updated the upload controller because at least it shows some personality, or at least it, it says, I know this isn't right, but it is what it is. Also, you know I, have
0: I have to take my poor hat off to pull poor Tultepe. Tultepe cannot use Git.
1: No. What do you, what do you use instead, said Tultepe?
0: Um, if it's very similar to what they were using before, it's a proprietary piece of software kind of a thing oh, for yes. the development environment, and everything where when you open it, it changes about 90,000 files and not necessarily paying attention to what you're huh. actually doing.
1: And his response was look.
0: <laughs> this is luck.
1: <laughs> I have seen you know, source, source systems that do that. Like, for example, um, Wolfram um, Mathematica. Is that what it's called?
0: Wolfram Wolf- Alpha.
1: Wolfram Math alf- Mathematica. Wolfram I th- I Alpha. No, no, Alpha's different. Um, anyway, wh- whatever. Wolfram <laughs> something. Um, when Wolfram, you work, yeah. when you work in in a notebook in in this language, it there's no it, it converts everything to binary, and even if you don't change anything, if you open the notebook and then close the notebook, everything changes. So you can't that's use that's exactly like the commit. proprietary
0: stuff he uses.
1: Yeah, just makes me want to kill myself when people do, do that kind of thing, implement those kind of it, systems.
0: It, it hurts. It, it, it physically causes pain because you want to be able to do good versioning control, but you literally cannot.
1: Yeah, but I don't know. I think I'll be pushing for for using something. Better.
0: <laughs> Unfortunately, that doesn't quite work in the world that Voltepe uh, is in.
1: No. No. But I'm, you know, I'm, I've had my hour of catharsis. I think I'm yes, feeling a bit better, to be honest.
0: I I, I, <laughs> I am too. I, <laughs> I I I think you know, in the end, if there is any one point uh, that's worth making about uh, troubleshooting and. Um, Uh, debugging and things like that it's documentation (laughs) document your damn answer so i can find them in stack overflow damn it
1: yeah document them (laughs) or or even document them in the commit messages sometimes that's useful (laughs) do you have a commit template no no I just I've got a template in my head that I use every single time mm, mm. because it because most um, front end oh. systems like GitHub and GitLab and Azure DevOps for example they all recognize single line enter enter and then um dash bullet points after that mm. and and it tends to look quite nice in most of the UIs that and it, and it recognizes it as a title and a uh, main entries
0: I I think to answer the question you had asked about the commit messages, I saw a presentation, proper, proper conference presentation, and they had a screenshot up of some of the things that they were doing within their application, and there was Git repo, and they actually showed, and one of the commit messages was, this should fucking work, why doesn't it fucking work? what the fuck is wrong with you? And that was a commit message in the repo. And I'm just sitting there going, it made me smile because I have actually done things like that. Like I've been midway through something and I've had to full on stop what I was doing. And I pushed it and I was like, this should fucking work now. Like my private repos are curse word central because mm. I get so annoyed with some of the things that I'm actually working with. And other times it's just... It's just brilliant.
1: <laughs> See, since since I really embraced um Git and really started working um with Git rather than against it, like a lot of developers will work against the tools. They tolerate they because it. because they because they have a way of working and they're forced to use it for the job or whatever. Um, You know they're they're forced to migrate to this new system that they don't like. I remember when I first started using Git, I wasn't a fan of it. I didn't like it at all because it was completely different from every other system I'd ever used, which were all centralized systems. But when I'm actually, I'm actually a Git trainer now because I love it so much. It is such a wonderful, fantastic tool that that provides so much flexibility as long as you understand it. And it's like it's a lot of people say, well. I'd rather just I, I, what my job is is writing code. I don't care about commits and everything like that. That's just um, that you know. I, I just want to be able to save the codes and share it with other people. And it's like, well, that's true. That's definitely what we do. But at the same time, a, a builder might not have a hammer one day, or they might not know if they don't know how to use a hammer. that's a really bad example. If a joiner doesn't know how to use a saw. Then how is he going to get the get the wood that he's the subject, which is the code, cut properly, you know, so it fits in with everything else that he's he's cutting it for. You need to work with your tools. You need to thoroughly learn your tools and understand your tools to be good at your job. And Git is just one of them, or your source control system is one of them. Um, yeah. The way that I work in Git, and just before we finish, I'm going to witter on for a little bit longer. But the way I work in Git is I work in branches, and I create maybe one massive commit maybe thousands of thousands of little commits depends on what i'm working on if i'm doing devops work i have mm-hmm. to do very small incremental changes to test the build and put you know and i'll have i might have 100 commit in my commits in my feature branch but i will rebase and then i will interactively rewrite those commits or mm-hmm. i will squash them all into one big commit for a feature for example now some people say right. you should be working in tiny little commits all the time it's you know frequent and often it's like yes I agree. But at the same time, what I think it matters depends to on the me. Project. Yeah. What matters to me is the value slice that I am providing the rest of the team. If I've spent, for example, I spent three weeks working on this security work that I was talking about, I had hundreds and hundreds of commits in there. Some of them were full of expletives. Actually they weren't because it was A client, but you know what I mean? They were full of, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, uh, written in them and just going, trying to get it working. It should work this time. You know, sometimes I just have to do that because I just need to commit in the repo. Um, Mm -hmm. But all of that gets cleaned up before it gets shared with anybody else. Everyone can see it as I'm committing it in my branch, but before it gets shared and pushed upstream, it gets cleaned up because... And usually, in that instance, where I'm doing three weeks worth of work, because it's three weeks worth of work that doesn't work until the three weeks is up, I squash it all into one massive commit. And, and I know a lot of people will shudder at this, but I'll squash it all into one massive commit and I'll push that into the, the upstream repo. So if something goes wrong, it can be undone very easily.
0: Yeah. There's not, the, squashing is a topic for a whole. It, some people really. Are a, topic Yeah, workflows own. on its own. Yeah, but also Happy Yorkshire Day. Happy, just gonna throw that in there. Day. Happy Yorkshire Day.
1: Yeah, I, today I'm, is Yorkshire Day. My mum's from Yorkshire.
0: Have a, have a cuppa of Yorkshire tea.
1: Oh, we always drink Yorkshire tea, but it's have too late. Have a
0: proper now. brew <laughs> every so day. Right, shall uh, we yes, close is, up then? Yes. We're at, we're at the end of our show. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Man, I've just gone silent.
1: Did you just, is that it? Was that it? Was that the end?
0: Yeah, is, well, uh, usually you say a lot more, so I just was like, we're at the end. Thank you.
1: All right, yeah, thanks, everyone. See you later. Have a good one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, bye. <laughs>